Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by Laura Sims, whose brand new novel, How Can I Help You, is available everywhere. And it is a fantastically thrilling novel to read. It's set in a library. And Laura, as I bring you in here, my dad told me one time, he's a voracious reader, but he said, if you ever want me to read a book, have it set in a library. He said, I'll read anything set in a library. So you set this in a library. That's simply the backdrop. Can you set up what's going on inside this library that makes it so thrilling? Sure. I love what your dad said. That's, that's great. Um, yes, so the book is set in a small town library, public library, and it is about these two library workers, Margo and Patricia. Um, Margo is actually a former nurse who has a trail of suspicious, patient deaths in her past, and she's come to the library um, two years before, and she um, has been leaving, leading a very peaceful life, um, but then another woman shows up, Patricia, and she's going to be the new reference librarian. She's also kind of running from a past, which is that she uh, couldn't sell a novel that she spent many years writing. She's very frustrated, and so the two women meet, and they're instantly kind of drawn to each other, and it isn't long before their their lives become dangerously entangled. It's always, a th- when I would visit libraries, it was always fun, because the librarians in the, uh, I grew up in a small town in Iowa, the librarians there were all, they kind of resembled Mary and the Librarian uh, from the music <laughs> band, and so they had that stereotype, right. but as libraries have have gone through a metamorphosis over the years, they're really, uh, uh, they're almost like the post office. It's the, the great equalizer. You get the same treatment whether yeah. you're rich or poor. What is it about the libraries that is, has become such a unifying thing? They're not just for the elite smart people. No, they're not at all. Um, I don't know exactly why they've become this way, but more and more they have become these community centers, and possibly it's because you know, other community places have shut down or become more exclusive. But the library, and, and also I think the library wants to survive and thrive. And so libraries have opened their doors more to kind of beckon people in and say, hey, this is your place to be. This is for everyone. And so I think that's part of the mix. When you go about setting up this library as a scene and then the, 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 as a setting, and then you've got the serial killer aspect involved, you didn't cover any of the usual tropes that I see in serial killer books. So how do you take pains to avoid that when using the library? Because people have used libraries for a setting. People have used serial killers for a, a, a right. subject. How do you avoid the tropes? Well, I don't know. I, I have read a lot of those books. I've read a lot of serial killer books and... And I guess, well, for the library piece, after working in a library for several years, it was pretty easy for me to avoid the tropes because I realized that a lot of what I'd seen or how I'd seen libraries portrayed was completely off or at least romanticized, right? You have the, like you said, the, the, the shushing librarian with the glasses um, and you have this kind of, peaceful book vault where nothing happens. And and that is not the case, at least not in my experience. So it was pretty easy for me to write from that experience. 
Um, and as for the serial killer tropes, I definitely wanted to come at this from a different angle so that it felt fresh. I didn't want, you know, Margot does reflect on her past as Jane, but she, we don't dwell in that place. We're now in this new place where she's turned over a new leaf, she's living a new life, and so I wanted to focus on that and, and try to avoid some of those, those things that we've all seen a million times. I'm sure with Margot, you had inspirations from history of serial killers, but when you, when you take and try to create your own serial killer, what is it about when you research it that you try to avoid to make it sounding too similar? I, I mean, do you almost take on the role of, gosh, this would have been better for the real serial killer to have done the, certain things this way? <laughs> right. Yes, she is inspired in large part by Jane Toffin, who was a murderous nurse in the 1800s. Um, it was it was pretty easy. I did take a lot from Jane Toppin, but first of all, pulling her into the 21st century and saying, okay, this woman was not caught. I want her to have escaped and become this new person. And so making some of those major changes really helped me make Margot her own character and avoid just kind of repeating like this historical figure or things that we've seen before. When you have a book that's set from from multiple perspectives, as this one is, it's from two different characters' viewpoints, when you write it, I I noticed that I would tend to get ahead of myself, but then I'd realize Mm. that I wasn't as far ahead as I thought. Do you sense that when you're writing it, like you're pressing the gas and letting up? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you mean so that you can be in line with the next perspective? Right. I think I know what's coming, but then all of a sudden you go a different direction. Right. Well, then that's, yes, one of the challenges because then you have to go back and fix <laughs> the other perspective, the other character's perspective to make sure that it lines up with what happened. That happened a lot writing this book. I would, yes, as you're writing, things happen. Things, things go, characters go in different directions. So I just had to go back and, and fix the things that came before, make sure that the things that come after match up. It, it's, it's kind of tedious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chatting with Laura Sims about her brand new novel, How Can I Help You? It is available everywhere. I'm just curious for the title. The, the, the title, I looked at it and I thought, shouldn't there be a question mark there? And, but the, the, way the, the way the book, uh, I, I kind of understand why, but as you went about trying to find a title for this book, I'm sure that it wasn't just your idea, so how did the title come into play? So the original title for this was Poor Strangers, um, calling back to there's a Shirley Jackson reference in the book, and there's a whole, there's a, a thing about that phrase, Poor Strangers. But my agent and I actually, before we submitted the novel, were talking, and, and we both felt that while the title fit, it was not a grab-your-attention title, um, and it might sound kind of depressing. So we were looking for a more dynamic title, and we, we thought, okay, helping is a, is a theme in the novel. What could we do around that? And Really, he came up with, how can I help you? And we thought taking the question mark off not only makes it feel a little bit creepy, 
but also I think, I hope, lets you have different registers for that phrase. So it, it isn't a, it's not a service question. I mean, it, it, partially it is. But there's also a level on which it's, what can I do to help you? There's nothing I can do, right? So I hope that leaving that question mark off um, doesn't bother people too much. Well, and then the, the cover picture, and I know the author doesn't have really much to do with cover art, but it's the old checkout cards from the library. And as I looked at that, I can still hear those machines clicking and echoing through the library. And right. I mean, that's something that people who probably, you know, I, I, unless you're over like 40 years old, I don't think you're even going to remember that. But does that type of thing draw that into your mind, having worked in and grown up in libraries? Oh, definitely. Those old card catalogs, those wonderful checkout cards, absolutely. And I think a lot of people have a kind of nostalgic, like, instant recognition for it. And, and hopefully even younger readers will, will get it. <laughs> you, you still work in libraries out in the eastern United States. You still work in a library. And you're in charge of, uh, I believe, lecture series. Is that correct? Yes. I run a lecture series. I always think that that's such an, an interesting thing to do because not only do you have to make it so the, uh, the the people that you're bringing in happen to be around, but you just have to try to find a cross-section that's going to appeal. So what goes into your decisions yeah. of who you bring into a library? Well, I do try to get a mix. I don't just bring in writers or, or you know, things that are really in my wheelhouse. So I bring in, um, I've brought in political figures and uh, radio personalities, um, writers all, of all kinds, historians, academics, um, religious figures, life coaches. So really try to keep it a, a nice mix so that different members of the community can, can be drawn in and come back to the library. And clearly not everything that you bring in appeals to you, and, but you have to put on the face like it does. So is that sometimes a challenge yeah. that you bring somebody in that, God, this is boring, but a lot of people like it? <laughs> it actually isn't. I am really interested by all of these different areas, so I can usually find something to be interested about. We do the, we do the lecture series in conversation format, so I actually have to come up with questions. Um, for the speaker, and that really helps, I think, when you have to sit with someone's work and, and think about questions like you're doing um, to ask them, it kind of forces you to be interested. When you work in the library and people know that you're a, uh, a published writer and they, they come up to you and ask for suggestions, I would think it's kind of like asking somebody if you'll like the taste of a certain food item off the menu. So have you gotten attuned to, can you, can you look at people now and kind of pinpoint what they want to read, or what kind of questions do you ask to make a suggestion Ooh. for somebody? I always ask, you know, what, what are some recent books that you've read that you've loved? What are some of your all-time favorites? Um, what genre do you like to read usually? Things like that to help me. I can't usually tell by look, but definitely with a couple of key questions, I can kind of hone in and, and help somebody find something that I hope they'll like. But it is really hard. It's so subjective. And as you have become now a published writer, have you gotten a new respect for the, the titles that you see in the library? Because even the ones that nobody ever reads, oh, a lot gosh. of work went into those. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I feel it. I feel all the work that goes into everything. I am not dismissive of, you know, maybe in my younger days I was dismissive of certain books, but no more. No more. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the book is How Can I Help You? It's the latest novel from Laura Sims. She also wrote a book called Looker. That was a novel. And so check these both out. But how I Can Help You is fantastic. I read it in one night. It took me a couple hours, and oh. it just read so fast. Laura, I thank you for thank a great you. Thank you for joining me to talk oh, about that's, it. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Mm-hmm.